0: Hi, and welcome to Focused on Forward. This is Tim Beisiegel, and we're excited today to have our first official guest. Uh, Her name is Michelle Malone. Michelle has a pretty interesting story to tell, and uh, we're really excited to hear it. But not only to hear it, but to to really be able to focus on um, what she's been able to do in her life uh, to not only deal with the things that life has thrown at her, but how she's moved forward with those things. Not that those things have been forgotten, not that those things have ever been overlooked because they're always part of our story. They're always part of who and what we are. And really, Michelle's story today will help us to focus on that and really see that what can be done uh, in the light of what may even seem to be overwhelming odds at times. So Michelle, we're excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being our first guest.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's absolutely my pleasure. So I guess I was going to dive right in. I'm gonna yeah, please do. Talk to you. So the story I'm going to tell you is about my only son. His name is David. He was born on March 21st, 2010. He was the my third child, my first boy. I was so excited. I was so excited. I was finally going to have a boy after having two girls. It was going to be so cool. Um, he was born six weeks early. Uh, other than that, his, you know, he was adorable. He was so much fun and. A ladies' man, he had uh, the brightest blue eyes you would ever, ever encounter, and he had these really dark eyelashes that just made them pop, and he loved the ladies. He was very, very flirtatious. Uh, When he was seven months old, it was November 3rd, 2010, Uh, his dad, my my first husband, was a stay-at-home dad, and he had put him down for a nap in the afternoon. And when he went to go wake him up, he had stopped breathing and he had no heartbeat. Um, The music's a little louder, just to to let you know. He's very Caribbean. Um, So he had gone to check on him and he had no heartbeat. So Dennis called 911 for the paramedics to come. And he had started CPR on David and he was able to get his heartbeat back. Uh, The paramedics came and Alice, who is my oldest daughter, who's 14 now, was the only other person home. And she let the paramedics in. She was only four at the time, five. She was five at the time. Very scary for her. Paramedics came, took him away. Dennis called me at work, asked me to meet him at the hospital, at the emergency room. And when I got there, you know, watching the nurses and the doctors try to stabilize David, he kept flatlining, and then they would get a heartbeat, and he would flatline, and he would get a heartbeat. It was absolutely gut wrenching to watch, and you can't do anything, you can't touch anything, and your your baby's on a on a table. I'm trying not to go too fast or too.
0: No, you're, <laughs> you're doing you're doing just fine. You tell it at your pace
1: so after they finally got david stabilized and he was admitted to the pediatric of, pediatric intensive care unit at tampa general hospital where he stayed for the next month and the next month was was very very difficult when he was first there he was on a ventilator he had ivs all through him actually when we first went to go see him they they hadn't been able to find a line anywhere. He looked like a pin cushion. Like they tried his legs, they tried his arms, they tried everywhere, and they actually ended up doing it underneath his clavicle, which I didn't even know you could have an IV run under your clavicle. So I didn't either. The first time I'd ever ever even seen that, but he was absolutely covered in bruises from them trying to find a line on his little body. Keeping in mind, he's only seven months old. He's, he's still a tiny baby.
0: Sure. Um.
1: So... Within a couple of weeks, so they ran all sorts of tests to see, you know, they, they ran like x-rays and CAT scans and MRIs. They wanted to see how his brain looked, how he was doing. He had started to have some seizure activity, which they said because he had the oxygen deprivation that that was normal. So they kept giving him medicine to try and stabilize all the seizures. And at first, all the tests came back normal. His brain scans looked perfect. Within two weeks, the brain scan started to change. At first, like, everything had been gray on his brain scans, and everything started to turn white. And on a, on a scan, when it turns white, that's the brain cells essentially dying. Okay. And then right before Thanksgiving they did another scan and there were parts of his brain that were completely black, meaning that the brain cells had died. Oh, okay. Um, So we had gone from the beginning of the month of being hopeful. Everything looks good. Everything's going to be okay. It's okay. Okay. Well may- maybe everything won't be okay to, Oh my God, this is devastating, horrible, terrible news. Um, Because the brain is the only organ in your body that cannot come back. Like it cannot rebound. Right. Um, They had initially said that if he had like a little bit of brain damage that he was young enough that his brain could like rewire and figure out how to do things. But by the end of November, it was clear that that was just not even hard for him at all. Okay. So by the end of November... By the end of November, he was off the ventilator and he was breathing on his own. And the doctors told us this is as good as it's going to get for him. Um, they told us David's going to be in a persistent vegetative state for the rest of his life. And I feel so bad for her family, but they told us that he would be in a vegetative state like Terry Schiavo.
0: Oh, Okay. And, so that was your comparison point at that. At yes. That and I
1: felt so bad for her family that she's like the bar to, to compare other cases to, um, I, I, my heart broke for them when, when she passed away. So they, they gave us, they gave us four options. They basically said, you can, you can take him home and put him on hospice. You can stop his feedings and let him die. Or you could take him to a hospice center where you're going to stop his feedings and let him die. (laughs) Or you could take him to a long-term care facility and let him, you know, and just extend his life. They said, just, just so you know, he's never going to walk. He's never going to talk. He's never going to smile or cry. He's never going to know happiness or sadness. He's not going to know who you are. You know, basically painted this very, very bleak, dark picture of of what David's life was going to be like, which you know when you find out you're having a child, you have all these dreams and these aspirations for them and 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 it wasn't even in a moment, it was over the course of an entire month when you know you had good days and you had bad days, and I remember one night or that particular night. Dennis and I assigned a DNR for David because we had to think about it. I mean, this is like, this is a huge decision that you have to make and you have to make this decision because you have a child who you love with every fiber of your being. And you have to determine where is the line between what is best for you and what is best for them. If I let David go, am I letting him go because it's the best for him or is he ready to go? Or if I keep him, am I being selfish in in wanting to, to for him to stay when he really should go? It was just a horrible situation to be in. And I remember that night we signed a DNR because the we, we talked about it. We're like, if David goes on his own, then that's his way of saying, "Mom and Dad, I'm done. I'm out."
0: Sure. Now is that a is that a decision that you guys had? Uh, thought about previously going up into that evening, no. or was that something that was laid in front of you that night that you had to decide in the moment? That was
1: something that was laid in front of us that night that we had to decide in that moment. Okay. And the nurses let me, they brought in a bigger bed. He had been in a crib, medical crib. They brought in a bed. They let <coughs> me lay in his bed with him that night. And that night, okay. I, I couldn't sleep at all, understandably. Oh, sure. And I'm watching his machines and his respirations dropped to like 4. Like it was like all the alarms started going off and I genuinely thought this is it. This is it. It's over. David's going to go. And then suddenly everything went back to being perfect. Like all like his blood pressure returned to normal, his respirations returned to normal. It was like 10 seconds of panic and then the rest of the, the rest of the night, he was fine, and after that, he was perfectly str- like perfectly fine as far as statistics went. And I always joke that it was like David go- saying to me, "Mom, I know I can go, but I'm gonna stay here.
0: <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm ready, not yet. ready
1: yet. So thankfully, a bed came open at a a, um, a nursing home called Lakeshore Villas in Lutz, Florida. They had a pediatric wing and a bed happened to come open that day. And I took it as a sign that that sure. he was meant to go. So we made the decision, even though the doctors were very adamant that it wasn't a smart one, to go ahead and send him to Lakeshore Villa. So he moved there. I want to say it was the first week of December of 2010. He moved there. And then over the next couple of weeks, and I don't know if it was because they weren't trying so hard to stop his seizures, because, like, the medication that they were giving him was unbelievable. Like, they would show, like, these huge bags of drugs. And I remember them telling me, if you or I had this much medicine, we would be in a coma for a week. But they're like, but babies and children are much more resilient than adults are. So they put him on That's like a consistent medication regimen. And within a couple of weeks, I remember I was visiting him and I was holding him in a chair. And we were rocking in a chair and I was wearing a jacket and he took his hand and he grabbed my jacket. And I was, I was absolutely blown away that David had taken his hand and grabbed onto my jacket and was trying to pull himself up.
0: So was that like the first time since the incident that he had done something yes. like that?
1: I mean, he had been awake. It took a couple of weeks. Sure. He was awake when he was in the hospital. His, and, but he would just stare at you. He really wouldn't move much. But he would just sit and just kind of look around, you know, and mm-hmm. admire everything. But this was Sitting in observation. the first time that I had actually seen him try to, to do something. And then the next month in January, it was Martin Luther King day. And I had the day off from work and the girls were at daycare. So it was a David day went to go see him at the daycare or not the daycare. I'm sorry. At the nursing home. And I had him on the floor and I was playing with him being goofy. And he started laughing at me. Awesome. And I was, because again, they t- they were very adamant that he would never laugh that he would have no joy of any kind in his life and here my son was 6 weeks later laughing at me hmm. yes yes well, it that's really cool. it really it was did david ever walk no david never walked he never crawled He could say hi, and one time, one time he said mama, and I'll never forget what that sounded like. I don't (laughs) remember the girls, what it sounded like the first time they said it, but I will never forget the only time I ever heard David say mama. I'm sure. David was blind, but... And they often say that when you lose one of your senses, the rest of your senses are heightened. So his hearing was unbelievable. Like he could hear me walking down the hallway, you know, and he would smile and he would get all excited. And if I was rocking him, first of all, if I didn't pick him up right away, he would throw a hissy fit. He would hold his breath. Until he turned purple and then he would let it out screaming until I picked him up. And then when I was,
0: well, he knew he what he knew wanted. What he wanted.
1: Sure. <laughs> and then if I was holding him and a nurse walked up, he would get this scowl on his face. Like you better not take me away <laughs> from my mama.
0: Oh, that's it awesome. Really,
1: it really was. We had a very special relationship. Um, They always said that he slept really well the nights that I went to go see him. And honestly, where he was, was kind of a sad place. His his nurses and his therapists were amazing people. But a lot of the kids that were there didn't have parents that were involved in their lives. Um, Some parents completely gave up their, their guardianship, turned the kids over to the state. And then some kids had parents, but they maybe visited them once a year if they ever visited. So the nurses and the therapists would buy the the kids clothes and Christmas presents and love those kids like they were their own. So I never worried about David being there. I knew he was being loved, like would have been loved if he had been at home.
0: You know We had a similar experience with when our daughter was in the hospital. Uh, The therapists, the doctors, the nurses, um, amazing folk. I just I don't know how they do what they do, but um, I couldn't because we had a couple of children that were in rooms nearby us uh, who were same situation as you were talking about. They were turned over as wards of the state. They um, just heartbreaking stories. But there was nobody else there to love on them and hug them and hold them. But here are these nurses and these techs and these therapists. Man, they'd walk these kids around and sing to them and hug them and feed them and love them. Yep. And just like you said, like they were there and they're just Absolutely. amazing people.
1: Abs- I, not, even to this day, I'm still, I'm so thankful.
0: Yes. In awe of In what, all they, do, of what really. they do,
1: And In awe of what they do. But there was, like, there was a, a sad side... I mean, of course, it's a sad side to it all. I mean, David lived in a, in a nursing home, and that's not what you imagine for your child. But So David was on Medicaid, and so special needs children, you know, at least in the state of Florida, are automatically on Medicaid. But being part of that, the state has to check in on them on a regular basis. They have to evaluate their situation and make sure that they still qualify Correct. for the coverage. And they would come and they would look at David and they would interview the nurses and they would interview me. And I'm really I'm starting to get a little starting to feel the tears come. So and then they would put out reports. And the reports would say that David is in a persistent vegetative state despite what his mother says. David is non-responsive, and like it was just it was it was always so hard because You know, we had this, we had a beautiful, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't ideal, but it was our love. It was our life. And sure, I always hated getting the paperwork that said it was all in my head because anybody could look at pictures of David and see that he had joy.
0: Well, just a few pictures of him that I've seen that you've posted on, on social media. I've, I've noticed that uh, the pictures of where you're holding him. There is a very large yes. smile on his face.
1: Oh, he knew, and he knew darn well who I was. And, you know, he knew when his sisters came to see him and when my parents were there. You know, by this time, I mean, my, my ex-husband and I had separated. Um, okay. So that's why I say, so we were never together going to see him, And so I don't leave him out of this story because, you know, um, you know in, in any Throwing shadow against him at all. It's just that we were separated, so when sure. I went to go see David, I was by myself.
0: Um, okay. Fair enough. Uh,
1: so the years the years went by, and you know, David had good days and David had bad days, and he would be hospitalized from time to time with pneumonia, which is, of course, if if you're being if you're being tube fed is a very understandable thing to have happen a lot. Very high it's a risk. high risk. and Or his feeding tube would come out. But I remember there was a while that he was actually getting a lot of his feeding by mouth. He had been doing so much better. He was doing so well. And then, and then things just kind of start to go back and revert to him having bottle fed all the time. But he was never on a respirator again. I will say that is one thing that we never had to go back to. Well, that's good. Lakeshore Villas is closed about four months before David died and he was moved to another nursing home. And I, I, I was so brokenhearted because it was like we were losing, he had been there for two and a half years and we, I felt like we were losing a part of our family.
0: Understandable. And there aren't
1: a lot of trick facilities. In, there's only two other ones next to Florida. One is in Colorado, which is about an hour south of Tampa. And then there's one in Miami. Okay. One that's in Largo. Can imagine David being in Miami. David couldn't come home, if anybody wants to know, because to have a child or to have anybody at home receiving home health care, they have to have a dedicated space. And at the time, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment with my daughters and my parents. There was no dedicated space for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, that 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 would make sense. Um, oh, sorry, excuse me. Um. You're fine. So, fast forward, it was um, Christmas Eve 2013. I had just remarried. I had just remarried 12 days before then. And um, I had taken Christmas Eve off because my stepsons were in the Boy Scouts, and we were going to go down to McDill Air Force Base to go see a weather helicopter. And we were driving down in the Boy Scout caravan and we got a call from the nursing home saying, David was being sent to the hospital. And I said, okay, all right, we'll be right there. And then the nurse asked me, do you want them to do everything they can to save David? Because the DNR had never been lifted. I had tried to get the DNR lifted over the last three years But every time I try to get the DNR lifted, I would get, just think about it. If it's, is that something you really want? I mean, in his condition, wouldn't it just be best if, and it's like, I'm I'm sorry, that that's a human being (laughs) that you're referring to. I understand talking sometimes with, you know, agencies, you know, he's a kid on a list, but, you know, he was doing so much better. was your child. And so when she asked me if I wanted everything done to save him, I could hear suddenly, I could hear commotion in the background. And I said, absolutely, of course, I want everything done, everything done. And they sent us to the hospital to come to find out they sent us to the wrong hospital. Finally made it. Oh, no. And they made me go sit in the little room out by the waiting room, which All of the dozens of times David had ever been to a hospital, I had never had to sit in that room before. No matter how bad it was, they would take me straight to his bedside. So I knew immediately. I knew immediately what was going on.
0: Something was different. I
1: went and I sat down and the doctor came in and he sat down and he said, well, David died. Give just a second.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, when you have a child that, that has such special needs, you know, eventually that's going to be your reality. But, oh man, it was, whew. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, my, my new husband is sitting out in the waiting room with our four children, including my, my daughters. And here I am getting this news. My parents arrive. And I remember the doctors, ta- the doctors talking to me, but I could not hear a word that he's saying.
0: No, I imagine at that point, yes, kind of like exactly. Charlie Brown's teacher in the so background. My
1: parents walk in, and they hug me, and the, the doctor continues to talk. From what it, what he said, David had double pneumonia, and his lungs were full, and his heart just gave out. And he said that they did every. He said I did everything I would have done for my own child. He said, "But we just couldn't save him." And I believe, you know, I I, I often I often think about like, I often think about that doctor. I think about what was it like to have to tell a mother <laughs> that her son died on Christmas Eve.
0: <laughs> sure, when, uh, that's yeah. a that's a weighty <laughs> task for anybody.
1: And um, so I had to call. David's father at work. I had called him to let him know that David was on his way to the emergency room. And of course, we were both he felt the same way I did. You know, David's tough. He'll be fine. It's going to be okay. And so and I, and I'll always regret that I call him to tell him that that wasn't the case. That David didn't make it. David was still in the room. And so they let us go back after of course i had to sit my kids down and tell my kids that david had died mm-hmm. um, which you know at that time what they were I'm trying to do math were 8 and 5 my my girls were 8 and 5 at the time so okay i think my 5 year old was a little you know was a little less real I don't know. I don't even really know. You'd have to ask them exactly how they felt. (laughs) Uh, But thankfully, my my husband took them out and took them home because I couldn't have them stay at the hospital. And they took me back by Mm -hmm. David. And he was lying there in the bed. And he was still so perfect. He had this this blonde hair that was so curly. And um, he had a tube in his mouth. That was taped to his mouth, that they didn't take out. And um, I, I put a blanket around him and I picked him up. And I rocked him. And he was so cold already. And I, all I could think to myself was, if I could just make him warmer, then, then he'll come back to life. You know. Hmm. I remember. We were sitting there, and my dad said to me, he said, do you hear all that? Do you hear all of that? And I could hear, like, doctors and nurses running around outside the door. And I was like, yeah, I hear that. He said, the world hasn't ended. He said, the world's going to go on. He said, somehow, the world is going to go on. (laughs) Dennis... Ended up coming, and he spent some time with David too. And eventually, I, I I put him down and kissed him goodbye, and I left. I mean, it was Christmas Eve. I had presents to wrap. I had normal things that had to happen. Yes, yeah, still a mom still Santa, a still mom coming tonight somehow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, We had him cremated. And I have him in an urn here in, in my apartment. So he's always with me. And that Saturday afterwards, the same pastor who had married me and my husband performed David's funeral in the same month. And it was, it was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. To, And people came from all over, because it was here in Tampa, and people came from Jacksonville, people came from Atlanta. I mean, we had people from all over the place. And it, a lot of people followed David's story, you know, his ups and his downs. And to see mm-hmm. all of the people that had been touched by his story was amazing. And, and, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Sorry.
0: No, no, but, you're fine.
1: So a couple of things that I learned from all. So one of the yeah, things please. is a lot of, a lot more people have lost their children than should have. I belong to a lot mm-hmm. of bereaved parent groups. And I, I've connected with people who have had from miscarriages to stillbirths to cancer, SIDS, murder, car accidents, plane crashes. I mean, you name it. Suicides, overdoses. The the stories that I... The heartbreaking stories that I've read of other parents who have lost children. its It's unbelievable how many parents have gone through this. How many families have gone through this. Um... Because when you go through something that significant, you really feel like you are the only person in the world that understands how that feels. And the sad but good news is you're not. There are others. And I always encourage bereaved parents to reach out to other bereaved parents. I'm not saying that if you haven't lost a child, you can't help me. That's not true. I, I love your support. I sure. love your love. You guys are awesome. I am so thankful for all the people that helped me get through. But when you find someone who can truly empathize with what you've gone through, it's, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable connection to have with someone.
0: Agreed. Well, on a different spectrum, when, when we got out of the hospital with, with our daughter, we uh, started reaching out to different groups. Um, for people who had gone through uh, Guillain-Barré and trying to wrap our heads around it, and it was amazing how many other people had similar circumstances, issues. Uh, you know, and it was. It helped us to find some type of exactly. footing to move forward with.
1: And you probably find yourself to be in the same situation that I, I often feel with David's. I call it the incident when he got sick, and then his death. That my part of my mission in this world is to be someone other people talk to, and and I, I there was a night I was at a, a restaurant and I have a portrait tattoo of David on my arm. Um, it's it's hands down okay. my favorite tattoo. It's beautiful and he goes with me everywhere. But I was sitting waiting for a seat at a restaurant and this gentleman walks up to me, and he looks at my tattoo and. He sits down next to me. He doesn't introduce himself. There's no intro to this. He simply says, he says, my daughter, Melanie. He said, I never worried about Melanie. He said, I had like all these kids and she was the good one. She was the responsible one, the smart one. She said, he's like, when she left the house, I never had to worry about anything happening. And apparently one night when she was 17, she was in a car accident and had passed away. And oh my, and he felt so comforted to be able to share this story with someone who understood. And I was blown away because, again, there was no introduction, there was no, hey, who's that kid on your arm? There was no introduction. It was just a sit down and start telling me the story. And he felt so relieved or looked so relieved to get it off of his chest. And I was absolutely touched to be able to hear his story. And I'll always feel that way. I'll always, I remember right after I went back to work, one of the women that I worked with told me, she said, I lost a two-year-old daughter in a car accident. She had never told anybody that work before, but she wanted me to know that she understood. It, it's it's weird. It's like people see you and they identify you as someone that it's safe. You're safe to share this pain with. And it's an, it, it's an honor. That's
0: awesome though. It's
1: a horrible yes. honor, but
0: <laughs> yes it is. So. <laughs> but it's a good thing too though. I mean, in my opinion, um I think it's awesome that people okay. feel safe in talking with you. I think it's awesome that people feel safe in sharing their story, their situation with you. Um you know, because Uh, Just like you know, I think about that guy that you were you were just talking about. Um, Didn't even take an introduction. All it took was him to see your tattoo of David on on your arm for him to know that that's right. Clearly, that that's what that was. I think I think that's amazing.
1: How do you move forward? (coughs) I every day you go to bed, and the next morning the sun comes up, and then you go to bed, and then the next day the sun comes up. You don't. I've never really had a choice to move forward. Life kind of moved forward and I went with it. Does you have to hold on? Just and hold I, on. I, I think my daughters helped me a lot to get through it. Um, I, I know some bereaved parents have a harder time moving forward. And I often I often say that bereavement is something that's very individual and very personal. There's no... There's no roadmap. It doesn't say within two weeks, you should feel this way. And within a month, you should feel this way. No, you do you, boo. You honor your child however you feel you need to honor them. No one is asking or should ever ask you to move forward in life and leave your child behind. David goes with me every day. He's always with me. Sure. I think about him every day. But when I think about him, I think about that saying "Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And that's truly how I feel about him. I wouldn't change it for the world.
0: Sure. So yeah. let me ask you this. So having gone yeah. through all of this and clearly you wouldn't want to change anything. I, and I respect that 100%. So you said that you just kind of grabbed a hold of life and just, went with it but there had to be some steps that you took personally along the way to kind of help adjust as you went so what what steps did you take to help you continue to focus on on I holding to find on new and moving forward
1: an example is every saturday okay. was go visit david at the nursing home saturday everything saturday could be scheduled around that but that was going to happen I was not going to miss a visitation with my child so Saturdays came and it was like okay well crap what am I supposed to do so I started getting into into art a lot um, learning how to express myself in other ways that so finding new norms was a very big part of it um, also really trying to get everybody to realize it's okay. I'm okay. One of the hardest things was going back to work and people felt like they couldn't smile or laugh or they would look at you with these pity-filled eyes cuz like you were a wounded puppy on the side of the road. You know, it's you know, we have sure. we all have sad stories in our past, but that doesn't it's not who we are. It's part of who we are. but It doesn't envelop everything that we are. It's not all that defines exactly. It's not all that defines you. So really, it's reteaching people that while, yes, this horrible thing happened to me, there are still so many amazing things, and I've not forgotten about it. It will be with me until the day I die, but I am someone who has really grabbed life, and I and doing everything i can to live it fully every day. And i think that's another lesson that i learned too Excellent. is that you really cuz the saturday before david died i was going to go see him. But i was sick and i didn't want to get him sick which is ironic really. I was like i'll just see him on christmas. No christmas never came. You really don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So don't 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 live that way that I'll I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll, I guess with the quarantine, it's a little bit different. I can't go on a dream cruise tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) The spirit is the same. The spirit.
0: Well, within reason. Right. Understood. So another question for you then, Uh, with all of this in retrospect and I, Clearly, this is something that will go with you. But what do you do each year or each, you know, each day to help keep the memories of David alive? Not just for you, but for your daughters. We share pictures um, and, and so videos.
1: forth. I'm so thankful that I have videos of David being silly. Um, and I, I tell people, like, I talk about him. and it, it, Which is a really easy thing to do because people see the tattoo on my arm. And sometimes they ask me if it's my younger daughter. Although I remember one time, one lady asked me, that's a beautiful baby. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. I went and Google cute kid and I tattooed on the body the first.
0: Thing <laughs> oh, that that's unfortunate.
1: It's a true story. I swear it happened. Anyway, um, but wow, we talk about him like he's still with us. We don't talk about him like he's something that's in the past and forgotten and you know, a chapter that's been closed. He is part of our everyday life. And I want the girls to remember that he's their guardian angel that sits on their shoulder. Him with my mother mm-hmm. who passed away four years ago, you know, there's always somebody watching over them. Did that answer okay. question?
0: <laughs> I it did. No, you did. You did. You did great. No, you know, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, for, at least for us and I, our situations so uh, are thankful. different. We didn't lose our child. We, we, we were worried at times that we were uh, uh, a few different times. Um, but, you know, I, I think for us, the the, the things that I'm noticing in, in your story that are similar to our story. And I think that's what I'm trying with all of this is that I want to, I, you know, you mentioned being somebody that somebody can talk to. And that's, that's what I want to be. I want to, I want this podcast to be something that where people look to and and they draw strength and encouragement and know that there's other people that have gone through their situations. And I'm hoping to talk to people uh, from all walks of life who've gone through all these different things. But two of the things that you mentioned, and I've I've been kind of writing notes as we've been talking, um, you know, two of the things I I noticed that you said that are things that my wife and I have said uh, is that we're no longer going to put off till tomorrow what what we could have done today um and there's an importance there of doing that and then the other thing was is that you're always looking to find the new norms um and what you know what was the new norm for that day and what was going to help you uh be successful and 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 move forward so uh now if i'm not mistaken you said yes, you were you're I'm in the process of writing a book or there you're... were
1: other pieces written. So there, there is more to the story. And I, I write it. For, one of them is just to tell David's story.
0: For, sure.
1: And how, for those that have gone through significant episodes and how to be there for them. And. Like I'll give you an example. Like in my book, I'm talking about how you should never use the words at least. If someone comes to you and said, like I I you know, I have friends and family who have had miscarriages. And people will tell them, Well, at least you have other children, or at least you're still young and you can have other babies. Oh. Well, at least you've had, you had oh, David for another three years after he got sick. You know what? You're right. This grieving thing is totally <laughs> uncalled for. You're right. I need to buck back up again. So, But just to try right. the way we talk to each other about grief because we are all entitled to how we feel in our grief and we want to be supportive of each other instead of taking away try to take away from somebody we don't want to add to it but we want to be supportive of right. them we want them to know i am i'm someone i'm sad sad that you went through that
0: and there's nothing right. cookie cutter about grief your grief's going to be different than my grief and different from the next person's grief that's for sure well that's excellent um well, when you get that book done,
1: I'd be delighted.
0: We'll have to uh, have you back on and and talk about it. and we would love to have you come back and chat with us about that and maybe your writing process and, and uh, you know what that added to your your sense of being, your sense of feeling about the situation, how it's how it's helped you, if you've notice of it uh, helping or help you know. That others sounds great. Around? I would really, uh, really talk about enjoy that. that. As well. um,
1: thank you so much for letting me share my story. And uh, you know what? Thank you for letting me share David's story. As a bereaved parent, one of our biggest fears is that the world will forget our children. And so that's why I love telling David's story. Is because every time I tell it, then somebody else knows it's about him, and then a part of him is here. So thank you.
0: uh he was a. Uh... He's a beautiful boy. I, I was looking at your pictures of him and Dude, uh, right. amazingly he curly like hair.
1: It
0: was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he had some, he had some flow and locks going. That's for sure. So, so Michelle, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for sharing our story, your story, David's story. Um, and thank you for showing people that, yes, this was not a good situation. Yes, this was a, a hurtful thing that you went through cause pain uh, to you and your family but thank you for showing people that there are ways to move forward but without clearly without forgetting exactly who you are who they most importantly who they were and and you know uh, that's a that's a very big thing so thank you for your time this morning we appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon all right take care bye-bye